I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Eleanor Roosevelt once said, I think at a child's birth, if a mother could ask a fairy godmother to endow it with the most useful gift, that gift should be curiosity. Well, I'm totally with her. In my mind, curiosity is a necessity. It's something I admire in others and as annoying as my incessant questions might be to my husband, it's something I celebrate in myself. When I strip back what traits of mine I'd like my children to inherit, curiosity is at the top of the list. I want them to grow up asking questions, exploring the world they live in with open eyes. I fiercely believe that a passion for learning is one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids. Which is all very well, but how do we do that? How can we encourage curiosity in our children? Well, with me today, I've got someone who has built a career on her curiosity. Molly Oldfield describes herself as a font of useless information. (laughs) One of Stephen Fry's QI elves researching obscure facts for the BBC Two programme QI. She now hosts her own podcast, Everything Under the Sun, a kind of QI for children, which I have to say my children and I are addicted to. Welcome, Molly. Thank you so much for coming to The Parenthood. Thanks so much, Marina. Um, I, I mean, obviously, curiosity has been a big part of your life. Was that something that was always there from when you were small or was it something your your parents fostered? I think it was always there. I mean, I remember when I got the job on QI, which was the first job I, I got when I left university, my grandparents' friends were just like, I don't know why it's my grandparents' friends specifically, but I remember them saying that's the perfect job for you. You always ask why, why, why about everything. Why is the sky blue? Um, they answer it but why and my mum said the same thing you were always asking me questions all the time so yeah I think it's probably always there but I think it's also there in most children to be honest and I mean they specifically picked you didn't they I mean they approached you for QI didn't they Uh, they did actually yeah I was lucky I met John Lloyd who's the producer of QI when I was still at university and we had lunch and he sort of laid out the grand master plan and he said do you want a job starting in September and I was like yes perfect that would be great and uh yeah It was very different at the beginning to how it is now because it was before the TV show was actually commissioned. So it was just a pilot on a VHS. And yeah, we just sat in a room. Well, no, we were in this place, small office called the Oxford Centre of Innovation in Oxford with big piles of books, lots of magazines and pictures drawn by elephants on the wall. And we just read lots of books. And it wasn't Googling then? Well, it was really before the internet. I mean, I remember when Wikipedia sort of, we found it. 
And we were like, God, there's this thing called Wikipedia and it's got like answers <laughs> to things. But it was very early days. So there wasn't that much. Like now you can look up almost anything you want, like the biggest owl in the world and find out everything about it. But then you couldn't. There were only like a few Wikipedia pages. So you really were much more analog. We would read encyclopedias, particularly the 1911 edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. We used to love reading that. And we go out to exhibitions. Every Friday we'd have a quite interesting lunch where people would come and we'd just chat about ideas. Um, we went to lectures we did all kinds of things and just every time sort of slowly trained our brains to look for things that might make good qi questions when we're out and about Uh, and when you were a child and you were constantly asking why 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 did you feel that people answered your questions or were you often told i don't know because it it can as a parent i mean you're a parent too yeah that questioning is wonderful but it can be quite exhausting I don't actually remember my constant questioning. (laughs) I'm just told that I did that. And so I think they must have been sort of answered because otherwise I probably have a feeling of being quite, you know, dissatisfied. I think that, yeah, I think my mom took time to answer questions. I think my grandparents, you know, they had a lot more time. They would definitely be... you know slowing things down and I remember this lovely thing with my grandpa we went off to the greengrocers and we bought 10 different types of apples and we sat down together and tasted each one and we'd talk about the difference in taste so we'd be like a Pippin's apple tastes like this and a Granny Smith is much more crunchy and just I think things like that it wasn't so much sort of the big questions it's just sort of paying attention to the everyday things. And then that's so right, you know, the the everyday things like apples that you take for granted. And yet yeah. there are, I mean, you probably know the answer to this. There are something like 700 different types of apples in the world, aren't there? All with different tastes. And, you know, if you, you could think an apple's an apple. But like you say, yeah, they're all completely different, each with different stories about who cultivated them, where they come from. So, yeah, you could write a book about apples for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you said that you believe all children are innately curious. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think that if you'd been born into a very different life, you might not have been able to indulge that curiosity? I suppose if if you happen to have a family who... I don't know. Can't think, give you the time. You know, yeah, just talking about well, like your grandfather, yeah. like that simple little action. Yeah, exactly. That time, really. I think it's time. I don't think that it needs to cost anything to nurture a child's creativity. I think it's purely attention and time, especially now, you know, we can find out the answers to things incredibly easily because of Google, because of Wikipedia. We can go to libraries. It's just about putting in the time to think, oh, my little one wants to know this. I'm going to actually sit down with them and find out the answer to what they want to know. And also notice what they're interested in and follow their lead. Mm. So if they happen to be interested in, you know, elephants, well, let's go and read about them. Let's go perhaps to the zoo and see them. Let's, you can look on TV. You can, you know, there's so many ways that you can start exploring the things that they're interested in. And actually, that's quite a nice way to have a conversation with children, because I find it's not always easy to chat with your children. You really want to. You know, I find myself, I don't see enough of them during the sort of week. And I sit down and I think, well, let's have dinner together. And then they don't, they aren't great at conversation, (laughs) you know, unless it's sort of being silly. They're not brilliant. But I think it's, it's more that we're maybe not brilliant at having conversations with children. They maybe need a bit more direction than you or I would if we sit down, you know, for a cup of coffee. Mm, That could be true. Yeah. I mean, my little one's only two, so it's quite hard to know, but he's very chatty. And, I'm, <laughs> and I do tend to find like children, I don't know, if you get them talking about the things that they want to talk about, I hope that, you know, they can talk about those kinds of things. And I mean, this might be seem really obvious to you, but why do you think it's so important for us to nurture curiosity in children? Um, well, because almost anything that ever happened of interest on earth happened because of curiosity. Like, 
how inventions, explorations, but also, you know, how you met your husband. Everything will be about curiosity. You think, oh, I'm interested in that person. I want to find out more. Oh, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go for a walk in the park. And, oh, I'll walk that way because look at that beautiful statue. I might go and find out who it is. And then maybe I'll find out, you know, what that person did. And I don't know, the more curious you are, I think the bigger and more adventurous your life is going to be. I have a... Um, a picture that my mom gave me and it says blessed are the curious because they will have adventures and I think that that is absolutely true the more you are curious the more you follow that curiosity the, the more you know the bigger and richer your life will be well and often questions and facts lead to more questions so yeah. you might think I kind of know everything about elephants but then you delve a little bit more deeply and you've got a hundred more questions about elephants and that presumably then translates into every part of life Exactly. I remember going, taking my son bike riding around the park. I, I try and run regularly and I thought, oh, he'll come with me on his bike. And we ran around Hyde Park and Kensington Gardens here in London. And we sort of, as I went around, I told him about all the landmarks. So we passed the barracks and I told him what they were. And I told him about the IRA bomb that was there. And then we, we passed the 7-7 memorial and we had that chat. We passed Speaker's Corner. We passed the Albert Hall. And it was really brilliant because it initiated this conversation. And he then had so many questions about things he didn't know about and ended up having had like 50 minutes where he was suddenly really engaged with the city that he lives in which is I think is brilliant age eight yes yeah, so lovely and really brings the park to life and it's not just a walk in the park there's history there's geography there's all kinds of exciting things to find out about if you sort of look into them enough so I think that's really cool and and I think you know in terms of you know education children who are curious tend to then engage in things a little bit more deeply you know whether it be maths or geography or science mm. um, and so giving them a sort of few facts that they can start out with mm. will hopefully you know in, encourage them to kind of get their teeth into education a little bit more which we all know is a benefit yeah I think so so what can we do to encourage curiosity in children <laughs> the sort of million dollar question well I mean, starting with my thing that I think that kids are naturally curious. I did look into, when I was thinking about starting my podcast, which answers children's questions, I thought, I want to know, like, how many questions children roughly sort of ask. So I looked, there are quite a lot of studies. And the one I was reading said that curious children ask around 73 questions a day. And the study showed that the peak of this questioning is in four-year-old girls. And apparently four-year-old girls ask 390 questions a day. That's one question every two minutes. And the most busy times being mealtimes. And it said, yeah, more questions are asked by children in an hour than, in, than a prime minister has to answer in question time. So, I mean, <laughs> parents have got a tough job. <laughs> they do have a tough I always find my children ask questions as we're sort of getting into the car. Yeah. And I'm sort of dealing with bags and have they remember their PE yeah. kit. And they're like, mummy, how does the internet work? I'm like, ah! <laughs> You're like, I don't know, just put your seatbelt on, we're really late, we've got to go. <laughs> I remember one of my favourite questions as they were sort of sitting in the back of the car. That's often for me when we have questions. And they went, how do people actually get to heaven? Is there a train? Is there a bus? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> let me think about that one. <laughs> um, but it did, it did make me laugh. Yeah, this study said four out of 10 parents feel um, sort of proud that their kids are very questioning and asking things. And the other six out of 10 say they just feel exhausted by it and they don't 
no. And I also read that um, it said, well, 90% of mums often find themselves secretly Googling the answer. But I wondered why they were secretly Googling because I also think it's quite important to let kids know that it's fine not to know the answers. And frankly, like almost any, nobody knows anything much about our universe. You know, we all know a tiny fraction of all there is to know. And it's fine to tell children, well, I don't know, but let's find out the answer together. So I think that as much learning facts is one thing but I think the more important thing is learning how to learn so learning that curiosity is great following your curiosity is really important and how to do that so let's look in this book or let's look it up on google but this is a good article and I don't know just teaching them to help to find ways to find things out themselves because googling something is something that we all take for granted but you still have to learn how to search effectively and, yeah and and what's the sort of good source and what's likely to like not be true that kind of a thing and then even when you know because you're not always in a position where you can suddenly say okay well let's find out like if you are driving in the car and I suppose then a good response is well I don't think I know the answer to that question but what might the answer be how do you think we might be able to find out the answer what is it definitely not yeah and that I suppose is then you know giving them an answer or giving them an idea a vehicle to to get to the solution themselves which is the ultimate prize isn't it exactly and also who could we ask because you might know somebody who would know the answer and they could remember to ask them next time they see them and maybe asking them why they're interested in that yeah. and what has made them think of that. And yeah. and that all, all of those are sort of conversation points. Yeah. Um, any other tips? Um, about how to make how them... To, how to make them... Uh, uh, how to engage sort of curiosity in children. I mean, I, I always think, you know, encouraging observation. So, you know, we slightly sometimes forget that they see the world through very different eyes mm. to we do. And that can be really illuminating for us, but maybe even talking about your surroundings and what they think about certain things. And, yeah. you know, not only are you asking them to think about it, but you're then asking them to, you know, describe it. All of these are, are really important skills. And yeah. very often. So I think when, like, like you were saying out in Hyde Park, sort of naming things, talking about things, the stories, I think, when you were in the garden, perhaps saying, oh, this is a camellia or this is a, a palm tree, like naming things. And so it's not just, that's a bird. Do you know mm. what I mean? That's a blackbird. That's a robin. Mm. All the different, just just making life richer than just, mm. this is an apple. That's a bird. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like yeah. bringing. This is a plant. And did you know some plants are the most poisonous things in the world? Yes. And some plants eat flies. Yeah. And some plants ooze sticky stuff and some flowers only bloom for one day of the year and they stink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and to be honest, even if the facts aren't totally right, you know, you are not on TV. You are not going to be accountable if you've got it slightly wrong. Yeah, that's true. And sometimes even making up stuff. <laughs> so, I'm not I'm sure not, if that's true. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> but also not. I think then that still is sort of engages them. Yeah, stories and, and imagination. I mean, it's all just so important, isn't it? I think reading is obviously huge if your child likes reading or you reading to them or audio books if they don't like sitting and reading a book. I mean, because that's a real key to just any kind of knowledge a love of reading and I suppose letting children see you reading reading to them taking them to the library I think reading is a hugely important thing maybe singing songs talking to people I mean people are just such rich minefields of information and the more chats you have with all kinds of different people the better I think for your kids mm. and remembering that they're always listening they yeah. might not they may be contentedly <laughs> playing in the corner but they've got an ear on your conversation yeah, totally. which means that you know you shouldn't probably be swearing or talking about something that's totally inappropriate but at the same time sort of acknowledging when they do have questions about what you're talking about and yeah. not being afraid to to tell them the truth that's about true. what they're asking about <laughs> 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. No, I think you're, I think you're totally right. I, I, mm. I've really enjoyed, especially when I was sort of getting my children into reading, was reading sort of fact books, mm. children's encyclopedias, mm. like your books that ah. you've, you've published. You know, because it, it's not like you're reading a story. Yeah. It's like you're reading little facts that are interesting, but they can read little snippets, you can read little snippets. So it's not like you're giving them a book and they then immerse themselves in it. Mm. You can read it together, you can talk about it together mm. and all of this will sort of give you conversation yeah. points. And look at photographs, illustrations are quite important for mm. books like that, I think think mm. you know one thing I was um, someone recommended to me was you know let your children have a hobby let them collect yeah. something mm. uh, let them develop a passion and support them in that yeah. so um my son collects cacti wow cool um and we have a huge cacti selection in his room <laughs> it's Sweet. it can be quite traumatic when one dies because he does get very sad when that happens um but that has definitely um evolved into wanting to know all about plants and all about cacti and giving him books about that and making him understand that unless he looks after them they're going to die yeah. and what conditions they thrive in yeah. um and very often they'll pick a topic that you have absolutely no interest in or yeah. no idea about so my daughter was obsessed with dinosaurs and that was just never my thing no. but my god we knew quite a lot about dinosaurs now you at, do. The, at, the, <laughs> at the end of it or I remember collecting coins and stamps when I was little you know even things like that you know that that gives them a purpose it yeah. makes them feel proud of something that they own yeah. and a collection that they can then show their friends yeah how did the cacti collection start uh, with one cactus and he was just fascinated by it you know I've never been innately fascinated by my cacti I've got to admit but I remember he got this cactus and he just looked at it and thought this is extraordinary it's got spikes maybe it looks a bit scary maybe it's a little bit dangerous it's resilient it survives in the harshest conditions and he suddenly just wanted to know all about it and actually there's a little flower shop by the by my children's school and they had a little collection of mini cacti luckily this coincided with like the trend for people to have cacti in their houses but you know he just was absolutely fascinated and and you know part of me wanted to be like oh god so boring i mean i really have no interest in cacti but you have to sort of say but he is the person yeah. i love so much is yeah. into cacti and so we'd sit and we'd talk about it and we'd read books about them and and actually i think that was a really important part of his development and definitely kind of aided his curiosity that's great i think it like you say it's really nice to just follow their lead and yeah. they'll, they'll teach you things i mean my son is only two but he already just you know he's so excited about everything he's like oh it's raining whereas we're like oh it's raining he's like it's raining and then you just think you just look at the world afresh through children's eyes i think don't you yeah. and just 
Um, and even sort of in that situation thing saying you know oh it's raining well i wonder how much it's going to rain why don't we put a cup outside and see how much it rains <laughs> yeah, and we can get the rain that's yeah. a good idea we have a, a game first thing in the morning we we drive to school and before we as i as i turn the car on i'm like okay everyone has to guess the temperature <laughs> and actually that's quite good because they're sort of becoming a bit more aware of yeah. what different temperatures feel like yeah i love that idea it pops up on the dashboard yeah and <laughs> so then they'll be like walking thermometers when they're older and they'll just instantly know exactly what the temperature is because they'll be so used to feeling it on the way to school <laughs> and I think taking their lead is also important yeah. you know realizing that they have to tell you what you're interested in I think so often I've you know we've gone to the Natural History Museum and I said I've got an agenda I'm like we're going to this 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 and this yeah. but actually we're there for them we're not there for me yeah. and we almost need to sit there and go well what do you want to look into yes totally. and often you know it's the rubbish thing that they do want to look <laughs> into and I, just, I suppose it's that kind of balance of indulging what they want to see but also then maybe encouraging to something that maybe might be rewarding more rewarding for yeah them. I actually on my podcast last week I said ask children to send in their favorite thing they'd ever seen in a museum and the one that I, the answer that I chose was a little girl called Matilda she said the best thing I've ever seen in a museum is the dodo because I read about them in books but I've never seen one in real life because they're extinct but now I saw one in the natural history museum and that was quite interesting because I'm I haven't actually seen that dodo for myself and I've been to the museum a lot of times so next time I go I'm going to look for it but like you'd think she'd like the blue whale because it's you know the huge thing when you walk in or the dinosaur but no she liked that and I thought that was quite sweet and really nice yeah you just never know what they're going to like I mean the first time I took my son he just wanted to go up and down the stairs (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so funny that is so often the way but you're right you know it's those and, and actually that's a great thing to to notice the little thing in an exhibition rather than the thing that you're meant to notice yeah that's a great sort of skill in life yeah I think so I think a lot about it is also encouraging conversation and and you know the more I think about how you know how our relationship with children becomes you know it's most rewarding and fruitful I think it's all around communication and I've something I've realized from this podcast if you can talk to your children in an engaging and purposeful way you're not only giving them I think the greatest skill that you can possibly have you know being a great communicator is just something you will never ever regret I mean being a great footballer fantastic mm. but to be honest give me a communicator of a footballer anytime mm. but you know but how do you do that how do you encourage that conversation I mean for me one thing that's been great are podcasts you know mm. the, the the sort of listen to the the audio you know word and and sometimes that's you know we're listening to the today program in the morning and they'll talk to me about something they'll say what what is sex trafficking and I'm like oh god I'm not trying for the headspace to do this while I'm making porridge but you know very they, I think they are much more aware of their world around mm. them because yeah. they get little you know tidbits of information from everyday life yeah just noticing the world around them listening to stories, listening to the news. And I find listening to your podcast, listening to everything under the sun, you know, we will listen to it, but we don't just listen to it. I often sort of turn, I'll pause it and Mm. we'll say, you know, I'll either fill them in on a bit of knowledge that they don't have, or we'll talk about something that might be more relevant to us or that we've experienced. Do you remember when we saw those tortoises in whatever? And do you remember how big their shells were? And remember what their poos looked like? (laughs) And I think that that is sort of quite a good way to have a conversation. Oh, well, I'm really pleased, yeah, because I, I hoped it would sort of spark conversations in families because it's obviously designed as a family podcast. I mean, it's answering children's questions. That's the concept of everything under the sun. But I think that children are obviously going to be listening with their parents because they're the ones downloading the podcast onto their phone, at least initially. So it's lovely to think that it's sort of inspiring chats about all kinds of unusual things like owls and fish and 
And when you, get a, when you get a conversation, you know, a question that you feel isn't appropriate them to listen to, I think it's okay to say, listen, it's a really, it's a really complicated issue, this. And I'll tell you a little bit about it, but um, it's something that you'll be able to understand a little bit better when, when you're older, yeah. um, rather than saying that it's not appropriate. Because I think a lot about our relationship with children is trust. Mm. And, you know, I remember being frustrated as a child that I wasn't allowed to do something or see something or hear something because of my age. Oh, yeah, it's like a film or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, part of that is part of life. But at the same time, I think you need to acknowledge that, you know, you need to encourage that curiosity rather than sort of, you know, put it out. This is not for you. Yeah. So I think you have to be careful with how you how you engage with them. But sort of, I think they are better thinkers and better understanders than we potentially give them credit for, especially because yeah. they're always older. They're always, you know, they're always getting older and they are maturing. And, you know, so one week is going to be different to the previous week. Yes. To be honest, the questions I get for everything under the sun are always really hard. <laughs> are I mean, like I open my, in- my inbox and I'll say, what's in a black hole? Who invented the universe? Why do we have to die? And I'm like, oh my goodness, these are big questions. I've just woken up. And I also (laughs) regularly think I wish Brian Cox was my friend because he's very good at explaining things to children. But I've been super lucky that lots of experts have come on board. So lots of the scientists from the Natural History Museum, the VNA, the Science Museum, they are all really into it and loving answering children's questions because it's a great way for them to share their knowledge. And also the children's questions are genuinely interesting. Yeah. One thing I've noticed on your podcast is when children ask you questions, it's not just a sort of one sentence answer. No. And, and I think that is a really good teaching point in terms of how we answer questions. Mm. You know, there's never, you know, if there is one question about owls, you then talk all about owls behavior <laughs> and how they work and yes. how they see and hear and kill and all of that kind of thing, which, which makes it so much more interesting. Yes, I hope so. How do you choose the question? I mean, because obviously you get lots of questions and you can't answer every question. Yeah. Do you look specifically for questions that have a sort of broader answer or? Uh, um, I'm aiming to answer every question I get sent, but I don't know if that's going to end up being possible. But so far, I mean, I've just picked one that I feel like, oh, I quite fancy finding out the answer to that one or... I've themed them a little bit. So one week we did an episode with the Natural History Museum about their exhibition, Life in the Dark. So then I picked questions that had been sent in about, like you say, owls. There was another one about, are any fish nocturnal? Which the fish curator from the museum answered. And then I've thought, also thought, well, that's an interesting question. Can I find a good expert to answer that? So I got asked last week, why can we not taste as well as usual when we have a cold? And I thought, well, that would be a good question for someone like Heston Blumenthal because he's so into food and senses. And so I sent his producer the question and he's answered it for me. So I'm kind of thinking, oh, who would be cool to answer this question? What question am I interested in? And also, I just... I don't really want any child's question to go unanswered. So I think this could be take me a while to kind of get through all the questions. You talked about some questions that you thought, oh my, a black hole. Have you answered that question yet? yet, But I really do feel like that could be one for an expert. So um, yeah, I'm definitely going to answer it. But I don't, I mean, a lot of them, I obviously don't know the answer. I have to sit down and look it up. I have to ring somebody and find out the answer. So I'm also learning a lot as well. And also, presumably, not all the questions are great, although I suppose they are slightly curated by the parents. Because I get questions from my children that are really thought-provoking, and I think, what a brilliant question. And then the other day, my daughter said, what's orange juice made from? I'm like, 
oranges oranges that is quite straightforward <laughs> to answer that one <laughs> but there might be some other question about orange juice that that could be really good i don't know i'd probably find a way to answer any question to be honest <laughs> i can tell it all about oranges and there's only one word in the world that right in, in the english language that rhymes with orange which is blorange <laughs> which is a place i think i was about to say have you just made that word up <laughs> it's true it's a qi fact i mean i listen to podcasts a lot with them in the car and i find that car journeys are a really nice way to engage with my children um there is research to show that actually you have a more productive conversation especially it's a bit more difficult conversation if you're not looking at each other straight in the eye yeah but if you're walking and talking or driving because you're focusing on driving or you're sort of looking ahead you're not looking looking at each other yeah and I think really sadly a lot of parents now just chuck their kids an iPad and they just like hooked into a screen for this Mm. whole journey and I remember sitting on long journeys and just looking out the window I still love it I still find it really calming and it allows my mind to wander yeah and and so I think you know having a sort of rule that maybe you don't have screens in the car but you're having you know podcasts or you're listening to the radio or you're having these or even sort of playing games I mean I spy yeah I mean that slightly kills me I spy because you know you try so hard to sort of think about what they're thinking of and then they've spelt it wrong yeah Um. isn't that quite classic I spy something beginning with p and then it's like a tree yeah no but that doesn't start with p um but even things like which are quite much more fun like a game of would you rather Mm. And, and you can be quite outlandish and you can be silly if they're a silly mood or you can be, uh, you know, really thoughtful or you can, you know, relate it to what they're interested in. You know, would you rather be a cacti or an oak tree? <laughs> cactus or an oak tree? Well, I think yeah. you know the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, cacti in, a cactus in my son's room. That's yeah. what I'd like to be. But, you know, that kind of thing is really good at getting them to think about not just facts, but about using those facts to formulate an opinion and then articulating that argument to explain why they'd rather be the thing. But then also thinking about what other peop- why other people would want to be the other thing. Yeah, that's true. And I think you then, you you very often, because children think in a different way to, you know, to us, they can really entertain us with Mm. their thinking Mm. around that topic. Mm. And then the car journey is done and you haven't had a screen. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) So... You're the author of three books, yes. uh, which I, I really have enjoyed. They are, it's Wonders of the World Museums and The Secret Museum. Those are the two that are published. And the third, has it been the published? Third, Natural Wonders of the World is coming out on the 7th of February, so very oh, soon. Good, very, yeah. very exciting. And yeah. you, do you always want to be an author? How did these books come about? Well, The Secret Museum was the first book that I wrote. And that came about because I, when I was working on QI, we got an email from the fish curators at the Natural History Museum in London saying, who are called Ollie and James there are two of them who look after all the fish and uh, they said can we come and watch QI please being recorded and we replied saying yeah of course come but um, can we come and see what you do too so a couple of us like five of us QI elves went off and spent an afternoon with Ollie and James behind the scenes in the fish collection at the museum and they showed us um, Archie the giant squid who's in this huge perspex case that was designed by Tammy and Hurst's team and he's so big that he can't be in the museum floor it has to be on a basement of because could fall through the floor we saw big tanks like full of sharks and they told us that speedo had been there designing olympic swimwear like based on shark skin and we saw specimens collected by darwin on the beagle with his handwriting written on um and it was just a real eye-opener because i had not realized that a museum only displays one percent of its collection 99 percent of most museums around the world's collection are in storage and 
mostly they're a working collection, so scientists will come and study those things, but the public can't see them. So I completely naively called a couple of other museums. I like sort of rung the science museum and said, do you have anything in storage? And they said, yes, 99% of our collection. And that ended up being the case in all the museums I rang. So then I started going to look with the curators at all the things you can't see and um, wrote a book about it. So I ended up choosing one object in each collection that you'll never get to see and has a great story and wrote about. So Van Gogh's sketchbooks, spacesuits covered in moon dust at the Smithsonian, a piece of Isaac Newton's apple tree that he was sitting underneath when the apple fell and he thought, oh, why did that go down? And yeah, I mean, you could write that book about 50 times over because whoever would write it would be interested in different things. And also there's just so many, so many stories and so many interesting things. But yeah, that's how that book came And came why about. aren't we able to see these? Surely they rotate them. I mean, it would be so interesting, surely, to see uh, you know, Van Gogh's sketchbooks. Well, um, a lot of it is because they're so... So in the case of Van Gogh's sketchbooks, they're incredibly fragile, um, sensitive to the light. So if you leave it out on a museum display, then it will just degrade over time. So it's so precious that they just keep it in a box down in the basement of the Van Gogh Museum. I sort of wonder whether it's even worth keeping it, but no one's going to see it. Well, it's still there. I love to know these things exist. Yeah. And are being cared for. And if you were writing a book about Van Gogh, you could go and see them, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't request to see anything you like in can a museum. Can you? So anyone yeah. can go and just call them up and say, "We do you have to request to see something specific? Or can you say, can we just come behind the scenes and um, have a look? I think generally you need to see something specific. But say um, I went to behind the scenes at the V&A and they, I went into a room which was full of shoes that had been collected from like the 15th century up to now. And there was a well-known jewellery designer in there just looking at the shoes for inspiration for our collection. And they, yeah, they're really open to that kind of a thing. Like it's a working collection. It's there to be used. But... I don't think they'd want everyone pitching up just being like, can I have a look? But uh, the V&A, for example, they're building a whole new facility out in East London near the Olympic Stadium and a lot more of their collection is going to be visible. Not that you can sort of get up close, but you can see it behind the glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Wonders of the World's Museums just book two of that well that's for children and I wanted to do a version of the secret museum for children but the pub my publisher thought that it would be frustrating for children to read about things they'll never get to see which I'm not sure if that's the case but anyway they wanted to do something which was the things that you can see so wonders of the world's museums is sort of a collection of some of the best things in big museums around the world for children so the idea is you can open the book think oh what's at the natural history museum because we're going to go next week and read about hope the blue well that hangs from the ceiling so when you go with your little one they already know something that they're going to be looking out for and a bit about it so Mm. stories of some of the big artifacts do you think museums could be better sorry big question (laughs) (laughs) i actually think they are really quite good at engaging children like there's lots of free i mean i'm at the little toddler stage but a lot of the museums do free activities for kids they try to encourage children to come um, the vna museum of childhood work with the globe primary school which is their local primary school and they've got an exhibition on about pirates at the moment and they got the kids from the school to really help to put together that exhibition so i think they're quite good with with little ones and um, there's a nice Instagram person that I follow called Milk at the Museum. She's always posting about like free things to do with kids in museums, which is really nice. But I mean, could they be better? I don't know. I really like museums. I, 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 I totally think? agree. I think that I love going into museums. And I love immersing myself. And I usually go and see a, a small part of a museum yeah. and, and get really into it rather yeah. than trying to see the whole thing. Yeah. But I remember um, about six or seven years ago, I was in San Francisco and we went to Alcatraz, right. which is essentially a museum of what it was like yeah, to be in, in, in my a book. prison. Yeah. And 
And that is an amazing museum. And what for me was so wonderful was that audio experience. Yeah. I think they produced it so well. Mm. And I think, you know, to get a sort of nine-year-old interested in what they're seeing, that audio experience enhanced it so much. And yeah. I wonder, I think that so often you go to the museums and they're beautifully displayed, mm. but then the information is sort of written somewhere. I, I actually wonder agree. If we There's not enough think. information. Yeah. yeah. And now in the world where, you know, we've all got iPhones, mm. we've all probably got some headphones. Mm. Is there a way to maybe make it a bit more interactive or yeah. a bit more you know rather than reading something to listen to something because if you're listening to something you can have the sound effects and you can have the passion you can have the different mm. bits I don't know I just, that's a good idea yeah. I should turn my book into a pod not podcast an app where if you go to the natural history museum you can hear all about the story of hope and see photographs and also hear like noises of different blue whales and things like that that would be quite cool and with qi codes i don't see why are they called qi codes those co those codes that you sort of scan on your phone and then it takes you somewhere possibly Q qr codes qr codes they're <laughs> QR called anyway that would be I'm the different sure. version yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> the quite interesting version of museum exhibits perfect and well it has been so lovely chatting to you molly really really wonderful i think all our listeners will agree that you are very engaging your podcast is very interesting and easy to listen to so thank you so much i've been wanting a sort of children's fact-based podcast for a long time so i was delighted when a friend recommended yours to me and you've topped the itunes charts it's yes, doing really well isn't it that's done really well yeah it went straight in at number one and then over christmas it was number one as well but that's because we had a great writer neil gaiman was doing a story about whether or not Mrs. Christmas helps Father Christmas with to decide who's been naughty or nice. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've loved chatting about uh, curiosity. I heard the other day that Albert Einstein didn't think of himself as a genius, but just curious. Apparently he said, I have no special talent. I am only passionately curious, which shows just how far simple curiosity can get you. <laughs> Do follow, follow Molly on Instagram and Twitter. Um, on Instagram, she's at Molly Oldfield writes and on Twitter, it's Molly Oldfield. Her podcast, every Everything Under the Sun is truly brilliant and I would urge all of you to download it now. And her books, uh, Secret Museum, The Wonders of the World's Museums are the perfect book to sit down with your children and unlock that important curiosity with. Yes, and her new book, uh, Natural Wonders of the World, um, also for children, is coming out beginning of February, 7th of February. Um, So hopefully by the time you listen to this, it will be available. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Parenthood. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review us. And do tell us what you want to hear about. I'm on Instagram at marina.fogel and that's the best way to get in touch with me. But in the meantime, from Molly and me, thank you for listening and goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.